Hey, welcome to another episode of Not Quite Compassion. Uh, this is episode number three. I entitled it Definition. Uh, before I jump into things, though, a uh, quick couple personal notes is uh, I'm in Portland uh, all last week, and it'll be all this coming week uh, for, I'm at Multnomah University for, um, uh, <laughs> I went to grad school here, and then I came back for some weird reason to uh, pursue a doctorate in ministry with an emphasis on cross-cultural engagement. And so I just started the program last week and got a little break. Um, my family came up to see, or came down, I guess, <laughs> to see me uh, over the weekend. And we had a really good time and they just left. So I'm, I'm sad inside. <laughs> and then I went for a long walk and... Um, I stopped at this really sketchy Bon May, Bon Mai, Bon something place to get a sandwich, and the lady, the lady must have just known I didn't belong there because she just like assumed it was to go, and then I left and I didn't put any sriracha. Why else would you buy a Bon May unless you're gonna put sriracha? It's so that made me sad, and then I came back to my dorm room. And uh, ate my bon mai without any sriracha, and without my family. It's gonna go up from here, though. We're gonna, we're <laughs> things are gonna, things are gonna pick up. <laughs> I wanted to share a little bit about that. And um, yeah, it's never fun to be away. I'm not one of those people who like to travel, uh, but I want to talk about definition today. Uh, some things I've been learning in class and picking up from some other podcasts. Uh, the first component of, of definition I want to talk about is um, the kind of questions we ask, like um, uh, yes or no questions are typically where I, I oftentimes default. And I, I've, I've learned this with my kids. If you're a parent, you know this, right? <laughs> like, how was your, or like you say things like, uh, did you have recess today? <laughs> or uh, what did you have for lunch? Or like these really simple um quick questions of our of our kids and they're typically not open-ended you know and they typically are more yes or no questions and um and, and they're oftentimes the questions we ask our kids and when they're yes or no questions they are designed to um give us definition like to kind of quickly size up the situation to find out is he doing okay is Sawyer upset about something you know like gives us quick kind of like um, read of, of the individual open-ended questions are way different though, right? Like those aren't really meant to define the person, um, or define their world. They're meant open-ended questions are meant for, for them to define their own world. Like we, we learn a lot more about someone when they're open-ended questions versus yes or no. We all know this, right? But, um, I have found though that, um, this oftentimes, falls into how we interact with the other or the person we consider the other, whether it's like our next door neighbor or someone experiencing homelessness or um, someone that needs our help or whatever it might be. Um, That's the questions we ask reveal how we feel about the person. And oftentimes in our um, desire to be charitable or to help we limit those questions to yes or no because we're trying to define their world. Do you need a house? What can I do for you? You know, um, uh, 
Are you on something? <laughs> you know, these are questions that limit the person and narrow them down uh, smaller and smaller so we can kind of put them in a correct category or a box and then we can better understand them. But it's meant to define their world as opposed to um, allowing them to define their own world. Uh, or open-ended questions is where we actually learn something from. So I, I learned this in class over the over the week. And I, and I found that good questions of people is incredibly dignifying, right? Because when you ask a good question or open-ended question, you are giving the person the idea that you believe somewhere within them lies the answer. Like they have something you don't. And therein part is inherently dignifying to the person, right? It allows them to define their own world. I saw this play out um, a couple weeks back. My best friend was getting ordained, and um, and Phil and I uh, disagree on, uh, on some like really significant theological points. Um, and uh, but he's my best friend, and uh, I've learned so much from him. And uh, we have really good conversations, and we walk away still disagreeing. But he's brilliant, absolutely brilliant. But he was getting ordained, and so he's getting asked all these questions from these like people that are supposed to know a whole lot of stuff, like big wig pastors and and denominational officials and stuff. And uh, they came around to the question around sexuality and gender. And uh, and I know where Phil lands. He lands in uh, like a conservative camp, a traditional camp, you know that. Um, and and yet I also know my him he's, as my best friend, and he is uh, one of the most compassionate people I've ever known. It just gentle, humble. Uh, just a good man. And so they're asking these questions. Of him and, he's, and he answers with a story, which I think is just brilliant. Um, and, and, but that they weren't satisfied with that. <laughs> they wanted to define him, you know? So it got so bad because he, he didn't, he wasn't like avoiding the question. He was just, I, I think, I think, this is my perception. I think he was trying, he was struggling to find a way to provide a good answer to a bad question. And they were unsatisfied with the answer because the question itself wasn't very good to start with. But it got so bad at the end, they just like straight up were like, yes or no, Phil, is homosexuality a sin? <laughs> it was just like, and, and, I, and I, I saw, I, I, I noticed in that moment that if he wasn't careful, he was going to lose a piece of his dignity. Because my best friend's way more than yes or no questions. And, um, and as I've gotten to know him, uh, I've seen the world that he's created and it's, it's, it's incredible. And it, and it upset me, you know, that they're just trying to box them in and, and people did that for Jesus all the time. Right. And that's why Jesus told so many stories is because, uh, he wanted to describe the kingdom of God, not prescribe it. Like he wanted to, um, open our eyes and have us trip upon the truth. He wants us to discover the world around us on our own, not be um, force-fed it. It's the difference between an inductive and deductive approach, right? Deductive is this idea that um, I'm going to tell you ahead of time what you're going to know and what I'm going to teach you. And then I'm going to go back and I'm going to tell you all the ways that you're going to learn. And I'm going to present points. It's a good way of teaching. It is. There's nothing inherently bad about it. But anyone that's in, in education will tell you that, that if the people really want to learn, the best way to do it, the more artistic way to do it, the more difficult way to do it is inductive, where you start just talking and you tell a story and you come around the back end of things. And all of a sudden people like, poof, their eyes just open 
and they realize and they have this epiphany. It's no longer your truth, but now it's their truth. And that's a, it's a, Jesus does this over and over again uh, in, in the Gospels. He just keeps telling stories in this inductive manner, allowing people to um, discover the world around them. And, and I see this even in, um, in how God presents himself to us as the great I am. You know, <laughs> like the, anytime Moses or whoever tries to define him, he just um, he, he will not be boxed in. He's far more than that. He's limitless. He, we are made in his image, you know, not the other way around. And that is the very essence of idolatry, right? Adultery isn't just simply worshiping something created. It's creating something to worship, <laughs> right? Um, creating something in our image in order to worship. Uh, um, Peter Rollins talks about this a lot. He says the difference um, between a projection and a projectile he talks about how God can be easily a projection in our lives, right? That we can define God as being Republican or, um, or Democrat or liberal or uh, against this particular issue or for this particular issue. And we can, we can try to like use him, which I'll come around back to that in here in a little bit, but we'll use him to our ends, right? And, and that becomes a projection of us. It's not actually God. It's just like this thing that we're creating. And, and yet... Jesus insisted on being a projectile. Like any time people defined him, he just came smashing through their preconceived ideas of religion and and the law and and uh, and the way the world works. So, you know, you've heard it said this, but now I tell you that. You know, I actually think it's a brilliant line that Jesus says over and over again. You've heard it said that you shouldn't commit adultery or commit murder, but now I tell you. Even have hate in your heart for someone you've already committed. I mean, just keeps keeps us on our toes, you know? He is the ultimate projectile coming in to smash through our preconceived ideas and notions. I always have enjoyed that about him. That he will not be defined by us. But he will, um, if we allow him, uh, reveal the world as it is to us. So, and I, I want this to be, for me at least... Um, the posture of my life. I, I, I don't want... Okay, here's the deal, I guess. What I'm trying to say is that for a long time within evangelicalism, I fit within the definition of it. And that was really comforting. It was. Uh, and, I, and I got a real sense of belonging. You can go back to episode number one for way more on that. But um, But I'm more than that. And you are too. Like, you're more than evangelical. You're more than just a Christian. Like, you're more than what you, who you voted for, for the president. You're more than your doubts. You're more than your struggles. Uh, what I'm simply saying is, like, let's not allow others to define who we are, to pin us down into neat and tidy categories. Because in the very essence of doing that, we find our dignity being slowly stripped away but you are this beautiful mess this cosmic cocktail of all of this stuff and far more and and, uh and i i found far more peace in allowing god to define me who knows me better than myself than allowing others to because when i allow him to define me then suddenly my eyes are open to a god that refuses to be defined you know 
like, as he makes me aware of who I really am, it opens my eyes to how great he is, how much bigger and better he is than I thought he was, how he does not fit into any neat and tidy category. And I am made in that image. And you are too. And I want this to be the posture of my life. I occasionally take stances, of course. I'm not saying we're just like, who knows what I believe? No, that's lazy. Don't be intellectually lazy. Like, that's why I'm at school right now in the first place. It's because I care deeply about beliefs and what I believe. But that is not the, the, those are stances I take and ideas I struggle through. But the posture of my life is one of wonder and awe and being open. It's a much better way to live. So that's one idea about definition, yes or no questions versus um, open-ended. And I want to give one more idea about definition um, today. I want to talk about contract versus covenant. So contracts are not inherently evil, just like yes or no questions aren't either. Like you, I went to Starbucks uh, the other day and I gave her my credit card and she charged me $4 and 13 cents. And then she handed me a vanilla latte, right? There is an exchange that occurred. Um, I give you this and you gave me that, right? If I do this, you will do that. It's great. That's where the world works. It's not inherently bad. Um, it can start to get wonky. It can start to get really unhealthy when we apply that same idea to relationships. Uh, that's even, most predominantly to our relationship with God, but I'll come around to that in a second, hopefully. <laughs> but I've seen contracts work out in marriages too, and they don't work out so well. You know, if I'll do the dishes, if you, um, if, if you uh, do the laundry, cool. that's harmless, not a big deal. Where it gets worse though, it's like, hey, if you listen to me, then I'll have sex with you. Or um, uh, if you're a, a a good dad, then I won't leave you. You know, like these like contractual, none of those things are real in my personal life, just so you know. But, but I've seen contracts play out and they start to um, wound people um, because they don't work as well in, in our desire to create intimacy. Uh, on the opposite side, I think of the, of a more redemptive idea is a notion of, um, of covenant, and, and these are over oversimplified ideas, especially when I'm talking about covenant. But it is brings up the weirdest story I've ever read in the Bible. Like it's, I feel like he would he would like, if I ever got high, I would read this story while I was high, <laughs> just to see what happened. <laughs> but the story goes with like um, Abraham before he was named Abraham, his name Abram, and it's in Genesis chapter chapter 15, so you can look it up. So I'm not lying. But God brings him out to this like area to be just alone with him and God. And, and, and Abraham's, Abram is a little bit frustrated with God because he's like, God had promised to give him lots of kids and he hasn't done that. And Abram's like, what's up? Right? Um, and so God brings him out there and, and has him go to sleep. And this is when it starts getting weird. Abram wakes up or maybe has a dream. I don't know. Maybe got high, <laughs> and and he uh, looks up and he and he sees God say to him, um, "Hey, go and find a bunch of animals, and then cut these animals in half, and then take half of the animal and put it on one side of this thing, and then the other half another, and kind of make a path with a 
each half of the animal, the carcasses, creating like a pathway. But don't cut up the birds for some reason. I have no idea <laughs> why, not, why you wouldn't cut the birds. But so Abram does that. And then uh, a few minutes later or whatever, God shows up. But it's not like God. It, it's, it's this like flaming bull. There you go. That's some uh, with like a stick coming out of it and some some smoke and 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 that's supposed to represent God's presence which is typical in the bible like God shows up oftentimes as as fire and so God's presence starts to like go th- down through this path with the animals on each side and it goes down the path and then disappears and God's like hey just so you know I'm going to do it look up at the stars you see how many stars there are? That's how many kids I'm going to give you. Like you're going to have endless amounts of, of people. You're going to inhabit the whole earth, you know, and, and, and God's like, I'm going to do it. I'm, I'm going to be faithful. I'm going to do what I said I can do. I'm going to do this no matter what. Um, and what's interesting is um, commentators will say that the reason why God did that is it's a real humble act because he's saying, hey, like if I was ever to not fulfill my promise, if I was not going to do what I said I was going to do, then may my fate be the same as these animals. Like it's a big deal. That's that's the God of the universe, which is like you know that's really uh, it's remarkable that he would lower himself to that degree. You know, it's very humble to say to give himself consequences as if you know we can. But what's most fascinating about that is um, God's the only one that goes down the path. Abram just sits there. So God's saying like. It's not a contract. It's not if I do this, you do that. Abram, I'm the only one on the line here. I'm going to do this no matter what. I love you no matter what. And that's the nature of of covenant. I I think um, I'm suspicious that that's why in marriage we have the bride walk down the aisle, right? And there's the groom's side on one side and the bride's side on the other oftentimes. And she walks down this aisle and comes to this altar. It's so it echoes of the story. And there meets her husband or, or a partner. And in that, the two of them commit to each other and promise one another, I will love you no matter what. And that's when it gets really good, by the way, in marriage. It's when two people freely decide. I'm not, it's not if I do this, you do that. It's just, it's just no matter what, I'm going to love you. And when both people enter into that, you better look out. Like that's, that's the good stuff. That's what's sustained Laura and I for the last 15 years. That's what points to a different kind of living and a different kind of world, the kingdom of God, that I will love you no matter what. Now, um, we don't do this as well when we're relating to others. Like I have been guilty of like turning ministry or how I decide to care for people into a contract or a better way of framing it is in, in a way that's commodifying of the person. Like I, I remember, um, I remember, uh, when I was working for sales union gospel mission, like we, we had this group come and they, they, brought matching t-shirts. I'm not a matching t-shirt guy. <laughs> and it had the church logo on the back and it had like some, I don't know, some churchy phrase on the front. 
And they all wore these matching t-shirts when they went out every day to go serve homeless people. And uh, look at our cool t-shirts. And they're really bright too, which is just a little annoying. But I've done that. I've 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 bought the matching t-shirts for, for youth groups. So believe me, I'm bashing myself here too. But I, I, I now I can't help but look at that and think um, when they're serving this person that's homeless and the person sees the matching t-shirts, is it a pretty good possibility that that homeless person will walk away thinking they did something nice for me so that, I, they'll, so that hopefully I'll, I'll go to their church? Like, did the matching t-shirts unintentionally commodify the very person that they came to care for? That you're a means to an end. And the end is that you would go to our church because we did something nice. I'm simply saying that I am taken by all the times in the Gospels where Jesus does something nice for someone and he performs like this incredible miracle and heals someone. And then he goes and tells them like, hey, don't tell anyone. Like, keep it between just us. Like, don't say anything to people. My suspicion, I have no idea. But I have my suspicion is that Jesus did that occasionally for people that needed to know that they were loved just for the sake of love. Like there was no strings attached. There was no, it was no means to an end. Jesus wasn't trying to get them to go to church later on with him. He just thought this person needs to know that I love them no matter what, no matter what, not if they love me back. I just, I love them no matter what, not if they obey the law, not if they follow the rules, now, if they throw out their drugs, I, I love them no matter what. I, this covenantal way of relating to people has saved me a lot of grief over the years. Like, I'll talk, I'll give a whole mess, a whole episode to the nature of hospitality, but I'll just say that it's a, it's a not a good life to live when you give to someone expecting something in return. Or if you give to someone expecting them to do something specific with what you gave them. Like I'll give this person, homeless person, $5, but I expect them to go buy something at Wendy's. No, 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 no. That's not a good way to live this life. Like it, it's, it's, yeah, I've been down that road. I'm just telling you it's a dead end. Like it give or don't give, that's fine. But if you give, give freely. For God has given freely to you. Love. If you're going to love. Like love people no matter what. Because God loves you no matter what. Martin Luther King, in his speech uh, right before he died, a lot of people suspect this is why he was killed. It wasn't the I have a dream speech. But it was when he came out and spoke against Vietnam. And he just could not sit back and, and fight for the injustices of black and brown people in America without, while then ignoring black and brown injustice all across the world. I mean, even his own people were like, hey, Martin, don't say anything. This is like, come on, this is going to detract from what we're trying to accomplish. And he just, the guy is a prophet, absolutely. But in that speech, one of the things he talks about is just this, like, we have to move from thinking about people as things to thinking of people as people. 
Like we are turning them into things. We're commodifying humans. They are becoming a means to our end. And we have to stop that for the sake of humanity. And we see that not only with people, but with the environment. How it's become a means to our end. And we've seen the devastation because of that. It's even indebted, embedded in some of our faith. Like I remember hearing this phrase. I've, I've preached this phrase from, from, the, from a pulpit where it's like, Jesus died for you so that you can live for him. Like it makes for a good bumper sticker, but it's bad theology. It is. Jesus, a better way of phrasing it is just to say, Jesus died for you. Period. Because that's the way covenants work. That's the way grace expresses itself. That's the way love is defined. That God loves you no matter what. You know what's funny about when Jesus would go and tell people, like, don't go tell anyone? You know what they often would do? They would go tell everyone. (laughs) That is the, like, counterintuitive way in which God's kingdom spreads throughout this world it's when you get this because they walk away and they're like whoa so you just love me with like no strings attached i've never experienced this kind of love holy crap i gotta go tell everyone about this like i've never seen anything like that before that's the way it works when we stop giving strings attached to things we watch how those things go and then freely love when we when we stop giving strings attached to people, you know? When we stop trying to commodify, turning people or things or situations into means to an end, that's when they're set free to go and love the world. And I want you to know that about you too. That you're not a commodity to God. You're not a means to his kingly end. He doesn't need you for anything. He's doing just fine on his own. He doesn't, I mean, he invites us to work alongside him, but he doesn't, he doesn't need you and doesn't need me. Doesn't mean need to do this podcast. He doesn't, doesn't need any of that. I am just, you are just loved. Period. And then I just let that sit for a little bit. And I watch how it starts to change me inside. How I've been freely given to. And then I watch how I start to be freed by that so that I can go freely give. So, how will you be defined this week? How will you define others? Yes or no questions, open-ended, contract or covenant. May you uh, experience his grace this week. It is free and it is wide. Amen.